Hello, and again, welcome to BitDepth. I'm Santiago Ramones. Across from me is... Howdy, Nicole Poole. <laughs> First of all, who are you? What do you do? What is your primary passion? Well, that's a big question. Um, who am I currently? Uh, I am a visual performing artist. I'm a live composer and, uh, I am the executive director of Spark Creative Lab. What my passion is, um, my passion is to really expand and, and question creatively every impulse that comes my way, um, rooted in human story, rooted in the offerings of other people. I work, uh, collaboratively. That's my, that's my jam. <laughs> yeah. So that, that should do for now. Yeah. Uh, how did you first get started in art, I guess, if we're going to. Yeah. Okay. Well, so my dad was a painter, um, really well known for his time. His name was O'Gale Poole. And he was a mover and shaker in early Oklahoma, you know, the 60s and 70s art scene here. Um, and he was a Western artist who got pretty sick of it. Um, he was really well known, but he was a bit of an iconoclast and he got very tired of just painting cowboys and natives mm -hmm. and lace doilies and, um, and he got tired of that and kind of threw everything away and started studying with this, uh, couple named Dick and Edith Getz, um, who were art students league professors who came back here and learned the skills he could in painting and then let his imagination turn loose. So I grew up with an artist as a role model. Um, that being said, like he kicked me out of his painting class when I was six because I focused on the details and not the masses, mm. you know, and that was like the, a cardinal sin for him. So, um, so I stayed away from visual art for quite a long time. Um, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, you know, I rebelled and I was working in offices and stuff. And then I got a job as a manager at this place on campus corner in Norman. Um, it was Dave's hole in the wall and there was a theater company down the street, the, uh, long defunct street players theater. And, um, the late, uh, uh, playwright Robert Woods used to come in and help me open every day and we'd play pool. And he kept trying to convince me to come down and audition I was like, nah, man, theater people are loud. You know, I just, I, I, I don't know if I, I don't think it's my scene. And he kept trying for like a year. And he finally said, look, you got to come audition. There's this play that you'd be perfect for. And I said, no, what do you not understand? And so we made a bet on this pool game and I got to say, it's my last name and I was pretty good at the time. And, um, <laughs> and I choked on the eight and I had to go audition and I got cast Chris Freihofer was the, who's a casting director here now. He was the director and I fell in love. I fell in love with putting on somebody else's skin and kind of letting my own story shine through other people's words and being able to talk to an audience kind of through a mask. Mm. Loved it. And when that company 
um, went bankrupt, I went across the street and enrolled in drama at OU. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so then more so questioning like the idea of performance because the art, I guess, because your dad started you in visual art, uh, and then transitioning you into what is performance art. Um, how did that relate <laughs> well, for you? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I really do think that the creative impulse is the same among mm-hmm. everybody. We translate it in different disciplines. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I enjoyed the creative process of, of uh, tackling something metaphoric and working to use my expression through the skills I had learned to bring something to life. Yeah. And that for me translates across all the forms. I'm actually a, I'm pretty, um, you know, my beret is firmly in place. Mm-hmm. I don't like that the arts have been so siloed here. Sure. Um, there's a greater conversation to be had. Yeah. And we can get into that Yay! conversation, but, uh, still on you, where did you go from there? You, uh, studied theater and then what was college like? And then after. College was great. I mean, it was, um, it was a lot of work. I learned a great lot. I developed two really concurrent passions. One was in experimental art forms, um, of Artaud and, and Grotowski and, um, Peter Brook. And, uh, and then the other was Shakespeare. Mm. I loved, I, I loved the structure and like really diving into the poetry and figuring out what different emotions, you know, could, mm-hmm. it could mean if a syllable or, you know, if a beat was transposed or if there's yeah. an extra one. I really geeked out on that, mm-hmm. almost like like the Gematria and the Kabbalah where everything's mm-hmm. kind of, you know, written in code. Sure. Um, so after college, um, I had a full ride to uh, grad school um, at the University of Minnesota, which was connected to the Guthrie Theater at the time. Mm-hmm. They had really, really good stuff going on there. And um, I had kind of a series of tragedies happen, the death of my sister, a rape, and I threw it all away and moved to New York City. Mm -hmm. So um, I got money to do that by working as a teamster on the movie Twister Mm -hmm. and moved to New York and started finding my way. So... um I don't want to like, I guess, uh, come make on. light of the tragedies, no, but like, yeah, yeah. So, uh, what is on the mind whenever it's like you, you do kind of have your future ahead of you, a full ride thing. And then, um, why then let it go and sort of choose chaos? <laughs> hmm. You know, that's a, that's a very insightful question. Thank you. I grew up in a very chaotic environment. Um, I've got a lot of, I have a trauma history. Um, complex trauma is what I've got the t-shirt for. Um, and chaos was familiar, but also with having two large shocks to my system, um, I think for anyone, when that happens, you, 
your perspective changes, your priorities change. And the idea of why am I going to a place that is basically safety, mm-hmm. you know, um, for another two years, they're not making any more time. I don't know how long I'm going to be around. So let me just go chase what I can chase. Yeah. 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 Tell me about New York. New York was great, man. I was there for 20 some odd years. And um, I mean, it's a struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really grew to love the energy more than anything. I loved that as um, as a white girl, I was the minority. Mm-hmm. I suddenly found myself surrounded by people from so many different cultures. And um, my first roommate uh, was Puerto Rican Cuban and her family adopted me and mm-hmm. just to see how people could be so expressive and, and, and delight in delight in drama. Mm-hmm. It, it's not something to be like that would flare up and be hidden kind of like we inhibit here, mm-hmm. but it's big and noisy and, and loving. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I started gravitating towards, um, a lot of scenes that had more and more cultural diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, it was vibrant and alive in a way that I hadn't experienced before. And let's see, I was doing, um, I was doing traditional theater and following that route. And then um, I was also doing experimental theater and I had a crush on this guy. If you're ever listening to this, Joshua Taylor, you're a dumbass. <laughs> but he was like, hey, yeah, you know, I'm with this group. You should come check us out. And so I, uh, I, he's a great guy. Um, he's still a dumbass, but he's a great guy. Um, um, and we went to, I went to see him at Here Art Center. <clears throat> and it was the first time I had seen the Walter Thompson Orchestra. And there's like, amazing dancers, throat singers, jazz singers, a full orchestra and three actors all crowded on this, you know, grungy little stage. Mm -hmm. And a guy was standing in front of them flapping his arms Mm -hmm. and there's no music anywhere. And like the, the dancers are speaking and the musicians are getting up to dance and the actors are switching between newscasters and, and emotional scenes and minimalism and I knew there was a system at play, right? Mm-hmm. I love decoding things. <laughs> and um, I couldn't quite figure it out, but I was so excited by it. And um, I was very proud of myself because I was pretty shy at the time. And I went up to the arm flapper, Walter, and I said, hey, I don't know what this is, but I would love to learn more. And he goes, yeah, sure. We got a rehearsal here tomorrow at four. Why don't you show up? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I called my mom and dad. I was like, I can't believe I asked the guy and he said to show up and I get to go to rehearsal. (laughs) And I walked in the room and it was it was all musicians. And like they were all guys except for the awesome Andrea Pryor percussionist. And they're all like black turtleneck wearing Columbia, you know, jazz heads. And I was so intimidated because I've always wanted to play music, but I was too intimidated to ever really try. And I sit down and I'm the only actor and I'm learning sound painting. Mm. And um, it was magnificent. Rehearsal's over and Walter's like, all right, everybody, the hit's at eight, you know, be back here by 730. 
And I said, hey, this was amazing. I can't wait to watch tonight. And he said, what do you mean watch? You're part of it. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And um, so that started a very long and beautiful and ongoing relationship with the sound painting community. Mm-hmm. Sound painting is, um, do, do you, have you, I, yeah, I, 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 can, I, I can go on good, for a long time. Uh, so you're going to have to stop me. Sure, sure. Yeah. Go on and describe it in yeah. short to give people an idea. Sure. It's, um, it's a compositional sign language that has a syntax, who, what, when, how, um, that is learned by a composer who then is working with actors, dancers, singers, musicians, visual artists, lions and tigers and bears. Mm. And we all learn some basic language together Mm. and there's a communication. So I can call out one sign Mm -hmm. and I don't exactly know what people are going to give me. I know the quality but everything else, I have no idea. It's a surprise. Mm -hmm. And it's really this beautiful conversation of aleatoric principles of chance and choice. And the motto of the whole sound painting scene is come in wrong, come in strong. Mm -hmm. Whatever you give me, I'll work with. It's all welcome. Um, So I've been working with that for 25 years now. Just came back from Spain for the 25th think tank. Yeah, so cool. it's, yeah, it's pretty great. It's pretty great. Um, I'm maybe I'm projecting here, but I'm noticing a theme of chaos. <laughs> Is that chaotic? <laughs> well, uh, chaos in the sense of like you know unplanned or unstructured. There is structure, but the improvisatory nature of, and the thing is, is that like I, I also live in that. Uh-huh. space as well and so it's like it's sort of guided chaos in a way of instead of just notating out music for musicians to play or giving an actor a script instead you are then giving someone a guide through which they can interpret what to express yeah. themselves uh <laughs> and so i'm more so just noting the the thematic consistency in uh thank you i hadn't put that together before i mean you can't have this hair and not you know (laughs) not really live in chaos but to me chaos is that's what the universe is made from and um if you learn how to be comfortable you can learn to dance with it and it can be extraordinary Mm -hmm. i find it a little more interesting i with no disrespect to structure sure um, I love a little structure. Yeah. Enough. <laughs> yeah. Enough to keep going, but the rest, we can't really do everything about anyways. Yeah. Well, I, I get bored with one narrative mm. <laughs> when there's so much else out there. Yeah. yeah. Is that, I guess, what then brought you back to Oklahoma? Are there things that I'm missing oh, in between? Well, I mean, kind of like everybody, you know, if you find people here that don't seem like they're from here, you can kind of assume that there was a romantic partner involved or, you know what I mean? Or, um, uh, I, um, I've, I came back here every year, um, for the Christmas corridor and stuff, but I was very happy in New York Um, I was living part-time in Paris Mm. and, um, mm, 
let's see, then my dad died and he left me with all of his artwork. Mm. And, you know, it's a huge responsibility and they're extraordinary, but how do you start from scratch? So I was coming back and forth and tending to the collection and trying to figure out how to archive all of it and what to do with it. And um, then my father-in-law died and then my relationship exploded mm. and we shut down the place in Paris, shut down the place in New York. And I thought, well, I can stay here and keep doing what I'm doing. I, my mom is still here. Her needs were getting greater. And I had met some really, really solid humans here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those connections and just the opportunity brought me back. Yeah. Yeah. How would you compare doing art in New York and Paris to doing art in Oklahoma? I adore it here Mm. because people are open and they're curious. They're not jaded. Mm. They haven't seen everything. You know, um, in New York, it's very, very competitive. Everybody's trying to make rent. And so coming from a place of real creative and artistic purity or integrity, that can be kind of rare. Mm. And if you find it, you find out that two blocks over, somebody's doing the same thing, only they're doing it, you know, whatever. Mm. Um, Paris. Yeah, I do love the art scene in Paris because they're supported. Mm. They... They pay into social security. They get a month vacation every year. They get free health care. They get support. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot more um, um, opportunities for artists Mm -hmm. there. Here, though, man, yeah, it's kind of a kind of a blank page. And people are looking forward to learning. Mm -hmm. They're eager to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the most generous artists I've ever met are in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Still is the difficulty, and I and maybe this is just my perception. Mm-hmm. It might be different in certain circles, but like my perception is that all of the artists sort of exist in spite of Oklahoma rather than because of Oklahoma. Um, more so the like the overarching zeitgeist of like what Oklahoma as a whole is mm-hmm. and it doesn't uh you know you don't think Oklahoma and think ah yes the great space for art <laughs> well it's not the great space for support of the arts exactly it's a great space for support of large institutions but mm-hmm. not necessarily for innovation mm-hmm. but you cannot live in a place that is an ancient ocean bed with a relationship to the horizon that not a lot of other people have. You cannot have kind of constant oppression and being surrounded by so many cultures and not begin to get creative. Like Mm -hmm. Okies, if you just scratch back a little piece of the wallpaper, we are deeply weird. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Okies are a lot more creative than people really give us credit for. Mm-hmm. It's here. Yeah. It just hasn't really had many outlets to thrive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's 
my opinion. Sure. Uh, how can we get it to thrive? <laughs> well, um, I think it's um, artists taking risks and taking initiatives, um, doing, you know, claiming space for your own form of expression instead of waiting for someone to give you permission. Um, you know, money would be nice mm -hmm. if artists started to organize and start to really make their presences known. Um, I'm seeing a, more and more with younger artists, like a cut of the door is no longer <laughs> really acceptable. Mm. And people are starting to get more um, vocal about their needs. Um, but I think, I think a lot of it is we as a society and then artists as part of that society have felt historically so disempowered that that becomes habituated. Um, organize. Yeah. I mean, I, I started Spark Creative Lab mm -hmm. as a space to pay living wages to artists to really work with our community um, to try to elevate connection. Yeah. And um, I'm an artist. I did it. I don't have, I don't have a lot of money. It was, it's hard. Yeah. It ain't easy, but, um, you get a, you get a bunch of people who believe the same thing and surround yourself with people who have different skills. If you can create a band, you can create an organization. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, tell me more about Spark. Spark. Yeah. Spark. So, <sighs> I mean, the truth of it is, uh, I have been a side man all my life. Mm. Um, side woman doesn't really ring the same, but I've been a side man. Um, it was always very hard for me to take the initiative to do my own projects within a structure within chaos, man, I could rock it. You know, I could show up and rock the hell out of it. But as far as really coming out and saying, this is my vision. Hmm. Boy, I mean, imposter syndrome and intimidation and all of that. And uh, the pandemic is really the thing that changed it. Because I was in Geneva with a group um, of women from three different countries, four, collective. And we had just started our first tour of uh, school systems there when all the borders started closing. Mm -hmm. And I'm full of all of this creative energy. And we had residencies planned and performances and everything shut down and yet that creative uh, urge was still there and I started doing sidewalk chalk this does have a point but mm -hmm. short answers are not my strong point I'm not looking for short answers okay anyways. good okay okay good, good, good. <laughs> um there's a park right near my house and people were flocking to this park and I noticed everybody was walking around using the sidewalks only, walking really fast and looking down. Everybody's just trying to process, you know, that first few months of the pandemic, what the hell. Yeah. And I thought, how could I disrupt that? How could I, how could I do something? And got some chalk and started writing just nice messages to people, you know, kind of affirming messages. And then I started doing little drawings and these drawings 
became a way for me to connect with people, became a way for me to respond to what was going on in the news or in, you know, our immediate life. And the next thing I know, like, I've got neighbors who are leaving chalk on my doorstep. I'm meeting everybody's kids and their dogs and engaging with people. And suddenly there's a community mm-hmm. where I just felt so alone because my art is connecting with people. And Zoom is like, sure, let me manufacture connection while I'm staring at a piece of plastic, you know. Um, so that connection really started to get strong and it was so important to me. And when January 6th happened, man, I, to really see proof of how far apart we had fallen or whatever, to see the cracks that far revealed, Mm -hmm. um, was so eye-opening to me. And the one thing I knew is that sound painting in all the years that I've done it, we always work with an audience with it. Mm-hmm. Um, to some degree. And when the audience is responding, um, we're all creating this moment together. Mm-hmm. And uh, evolutionary psychology has got, um, there's a term called positivity resonance. And it's been proven that in a group, if you're experiencing a positive thing together, our heartbeats actually synchronize. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, it's like when fireflies synchronize mm-hmm. or it's how stunning. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, you know, this, I at least know that my art form could help bring people together. Yeah. Um, and I'm every artist I knew was desperate, desperate to figure out how to, how to live. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I looked at, okay, I, I can put three grand into this. Mm. Uh, is that something that we could maybe try? Mm. I talked to Heechaw Poos and Brandy Kelly from Race Dance. They were like, yeah, let's learn. Mm-hmm. From that, Angel Little came on. From Angel, um, a few other people came on. And Tony T and DJ Nemesis came on, who you should totally talk to. Mm. I mean, all the, everybody yes, in Spark. Yes. Um and more and more people started gravitating towards it. And so I'm, you know, we're going, doing rehearsals and, and they're learning sound painting. <clears throat> and we learned enough that we started doing gigs. And I knew that I didn't want to do gigs in traditional arts institutions because not everybody feels comfortable going in there. Mm-hmm. Um, look, where are the people? Mm-hmm. let's do that. And so we did like parking lot, uh, the Paramount, we did scissor tail park and, um, uh, where else with the kids at pivot. Mm-hmm. And the response was amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. From the artists felt a sense of freedom to explore and discover and jam together and collaborate in ways that they never had before. The public was like, I don't know what the hell's going on here, but I like it. Yeah. And we realized we were onto something. So, um, we formed a nonprofit in just this last December Mm. and here we go. (laughs) Yeah. So that's, I mean, I have pages and pages of manifestos and, you know, (laughs) and thought processes behind it, but yeah, that's the, that's the bones. Where do you want it to go? 
Gosh, that's such a good question. I want it to go where it needs to go. Uh, this was created around my vision and that's cool. And I'm not the only one here, you know, um, there's what, 18 artists involved who come from so many different backgrounds and communities and disciplines. They're all going to have their own ideas too. What I want to see is, um, I want to see spark, uh, and we're working on programming now, um, developing, um, resources for artists on how to be self-sustaining entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Let's get that rolling. Workshops, jam sessions. I want to see artists able to create material um, with the freedom of knowing that they can work with anybody in the room. What do you want to do? What do you want to see? Let's let's try. I want us to go into schools and teach. Um, sound painting is a fantastic tool for a lot of different ways. It's for getting comfortable with risk and with your own expression and collaboration. It's magnificent, but also for me, art is a social practice Mm -hmm. and the kids in our schools, if they learn even a little bit Mm -hmm. on how to really work with their community, I don't know what could change, but let's try. For performance, I want to see us go to expand the company. I want to see red jumpsuits all over the place. Mm -hmm. And wherever people are isolated, you know, is that youth camps or prisons or, you know, shelters, where where seniors, you know, where do people feel isolated? Mm -hmm. Because creativity is for everyone. Mm -hmm. And the more creative we all are, the better chance we have mm-hmm. of building the type of world that we want to see, yeah. you know, one that w- is more loving and more respectful with more human dignity yeah. and potential. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm like debating going into. Okay. The, I love uh, yeah, your yeah, questions. Yeah. I love it. So <laughs> come on. Um, I guess. How can an artist figure out how to survive in this environment. (laughs) Educate yourself. You know, I, for a very long time, and I still struggle with it. um, Trauma makes you feel othered from other people. Like, oh, I'm broken. And so the good things in the world, or what I perceive as the good things in the world, that's for other people. And a lot of artists have trauma backgrounds. Yeah. We're looking for ways to make sense of the world. And, um, and a desk job doesn't usually cut it. So <laughs> um, uh, I would say how to survive in the world. Learn about yourself. Embrace everything that makes you you, the light and the dark. And learn about yourself. Learn about the things that scare you, that motivate you work through what you got to work through. And while you're doing that, let me preface this by saying, um, whoever's listening to this, unless you're a serial killer, like (laughs) you're great as you are, nothing is broken. Okay. There's, there's, there's nothing to get better at, Mm. right? It's, if you want to learn some skills, go learn some skills. But I would say that 
really working through your own internal story and learning support and resilience, that's hugely important. Um, because it's not all about the shiny things. It's about having agency in your life yeah. and being able to make whatever choices you want to make, right? And um, there are many books out there, but I wouldn't, don't, you don't have to limit yourself because you feel like some field of study is out of your realm of understanding. Mm -hmm. You know what it is to be a beginner and fail in your creative life. Do that in the areas that will help sustain you. Yeah. So, um, you know, shameless plug, but sign up at sparklahoma.org for our mailing list. Um, we got to know who's out there. OVAC's great. OVAC is great for visual artists. There is nothing that's there to support performers. Um, and we're really working to see, you know, who's out there. What are they doing? What are the needs? And how can we begin? Because I taught um, art entrepreneurship mm -hmm. and okay, mm -hmm. if that's a skill that's needed, all right, how do I bring it to the table? So we're looking at that and I just want to give, 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 like if I have skills mm -hmm. that can help people, let's do that. Yeah. But then I want to see what people do with it and run with it, you yeah. know? All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's go into a couple of my general questions in, in the front half of the interview, uh, which is just, uh, what's something people don't normally know about you? Hmm. You know, I don't know what people know about me. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually very shy. I've learned how to be an extrovert. Um, but I, I really have, I've been alone for such a long time that um, I I probably need more time to recharge. Um, that's kind of boring. I was in an abusive marriage for seven years and was in a cult called The Surrendered Wife. That's not something most people know. Hmm. Yeah, there's a couple things. Uh, I, I can't just <laughs> let that one slip by. I'm sorry. Uh, what does that mean? <laughs> oh, man, it's crazy. It's crazy. Uh yeah. So if you don't know yourself well, um, you'll repeat a lot of the same patterns. And um, uh, I heard a, a psychologist say this, that, you know, you haven't had seven abusive relationships. You've had one that you're repeating seven times because mm -hmm. we're naturally wired to try to solve a problem. Mm -hmm. So I was really trying to solve a problem and um, got tangled with a um, sociopath who, uh, man, I don't know how to make that story smaller. Um, if, you, if you have certain proclivities or tendencies, you can be easier to manipulate than others. And my need to please and to... Um, to have peace meant that I accepted more and more, um, uh, of my boundaries to be just eroded. Mm -hmm. And there are people who are experts at doing that mm -hmm. and they will generally find people like I was then. And there was this scene called the surrendered wife mm -hmm. and my ex's, uh, shrink that he paid for me to speak to her three nights a week, wrote this book and mm -hmm. was the head of this movement. And basically it's the, it is the, 
you know, heteronormative monogamy, patriarchal base of um, one man, one woman, the man has the power, the, you know, women get into relationships for money and stability and men get into it for sex and that's it. And, you know, know your place. And um, yeah, people who run cults get really skilled at indoctrinating you in them. So I'm, I am glad that I went through that, but I got to say Falls Creek, going to Falls Creek Baptist camp. Sorry, y'all, but that prepped me really well for the surrendered wife. And um, getting out of that was one of the hardest things I've done and one of the most liberating things I've done. Yeah. 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 I try to be open about this because I, and I might be the queen of TMI, but everybody's got a story. And if we all stay rooted in shame, feeling like we're alone, our truth never gets out and we never move the needle. So, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. And congratulations. Thank you for holding space for it. Yeah. Um, and then what advice do you have for people wanting to do what you do? Yeah, I think I just said it, but for sound painting right now, I'm the only sound painter in Oklahoma. So if you want to learn that, hit me up. Um, (laughs) Um, for audiobooks, I mean, yeah, if you want to get into that, there's a jillion ways. <laughs> if somebody is listening to your podcast and they're really curious, they can email me and I will at least point them in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. I would say like, get a good mic is probably a decent start. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. But for a lot of people, like, can you sit down and narrate That's That's for true. two hours at a stretch? <laughs> Can you stand the sound of your own voice? Mm -hmm. Can you figure out how to work the recording software and do punch and roll recording? So, you know, once you get decent at that, Mm -hmm. then invest in the stuff. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Switching gears into the questions that make BitDef, what is the role of spirituality or religion in your life? Hmm. Um, religion had a role, um, uh, but not so much these days. Spirituality. Yeah. Yeah. I used to run away from woo, but like my first studies, my first major actually was neurophysiological biology with a minor in Russian studies. And I was going to learn to do what Madame Blavatsky, you know, was doing with, uh, with the psychic business, only do it with neurotransmitters. Then I realized I had to take math and I sucked at that. So I, you know, that, that went away. But, um, I think however people find meaning in the world, um, I, and it's life affirming. Great. Mm -hmm. Do that thing. Um, I can't even kill ants anymore. You know, I, I've embraced Buddhism. I, um, and that really does help guide me, uh, to try not to hang on too tightly to any one concept, ideal or state. Yeah. 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 But rebelling against religion, that's been a big deal because honestly, um, so when my sister died, uh, Uh, He began as my brother, Eddie, had a sex change and then uh, became my sister, Alexis, and then died of AIDS in 1993. Mm -hmm. And 
she came back to Oklahoma to die from San Francisco. My mother's place was picketed by people with like, you know, um, fags go to hell and AIDS is the scourge of God and all of that. And like, how is that? How is that loving? Yeah. So, and I've seen a lot of power, still seeing a lot of power being used um, to manipulate people uh, in the name of religion. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's consumerism. I don't think that's uh, spirituality. So yeah, I, it was nice to rebel and it's nice to kind of veer away from it. What uh, forms of spirituality did you sort of begin with? Oh, and then, dude, oh, man. Did you, how did you get to here? <laughs> oh, man. I, I mean, I went all over the place. Lord, let's see. God, these are good questions. Um, oh, I, how did I start? I started because there was a Wiccan shop down the street. Mm-hmm. Um and I studied some of that and hanging out at the Wiccan shop where a lot of people with a lot of different derivations of woo. So um, I met people who were into, and these were all white people, mind you. So it was like, you know, ancient Egyptian magic, which meant it was one dude with a bunch of chicks all dressed in sheets. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got into like uh, reading the Kabbalah and reading at the same time as reading like Aleister Crowley and Dr. John Dees and um, the Gamatria and from there and voodoo and, and Santeria and really trying to understand, you know, the multi-theism and, and, um, and Hindu a little, um, man, that was because there was a lot of stories. There was, mm. you know, couldn't quite keep them straight in my head. Um, and, um, and then I went and read the Illuminati and that sort of like, it was like, what? <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with that book or, or not. It was like the Illuminati and the church of the subgenius and, um, um, Principia Discordia. And it was this very creative tongue in cheek yet, uh, intelligent community that were, you know, going down rabbit holes of conspiracies of like, if you look at the back of a dollar bill and the, the Illuminati or the people who are pulling the strings and, um, what else did I study at the time? God, uh, there were a lot, (laughs) um, but, um, so this was after the Falls Creek business because I honestly, Hopefully it's changed, but at the time it was all about power and um, deception and um, um, virtue signaling, mm-hmm. and I didn't find that attractive. So everything else, I I went anti-woo for a very long time. Um, yeah, but I've always I've always believed that there's energy and we're all part of the same energy. I'm not better or worse than anything out there. We're just all part of the same energy. And when I started listening to Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, um, that really started to open things up for me. Yeah. Yeah. What is your definition of God? Love.
yeah, there are many forces out there. You know, it's all it's all energy, right? And um, energy that is manipulative. Um, that's not love. Energy that is chaos is chaos. <laughs> but it's all energy, and, and and I do believe that if I mean I don't think there's some you know, big dude sitting up there going, oh, Nicole is not, you know, whatever. She had a thought or she threw her gum on the sidewalk today, you know, zap. I don't, I don't believe in that. Um, I, I actually don't know if I can define it. I just, um, love is such um, a unique numinous trait that we are able to feel and okay so all right so the human condition right we still have tails mm -hmm. we i mean not that i don't have a tail i do not have a tail but we still but if you do that's cool um everybody is beautiful but you know we still have tails yeah. and yet we can point to the divine we can point to something that's magical when we see, when we experience it. And that's kind of the human condition, right? Of being kind of stuck mm -hmm. in this body, in this plane, in this world, but we're able to go ah! for things that really move us. Mm -hmm. That moment, for me, that's God. Yeah, We can recognize something is shiny, large, numinous, divine, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. Yeah. There it is. That's the quote that I'm using for the episode. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> oh, the, like the audiogram to like share that, like, oh, look, there's an episode. Listen to this thing. Yeah. The, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, I use a lot of words. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I love it. This is exactly right, why right. I ask these questions. All right. Rock on. <laughs> I, they're fantastic questions. Thank you. Uh, what is free will? What isn't free will? <laughs> I mean, I don't know that I have an opinion on that. Cool. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, what's your, uh, what's your view of what is free will to you, uh, Santiago? I will give a short answer okay. uh, because hopefully people have heard my answer by now, but uh, an illusion uh, that... We make the decisions that are exactly the decisions that we're going to make. Uh, not that it is meaningless because everything that we do does matter, but um, that we are being bombarded with stimuli in all from within and from without. Um, and yeah, so like probably not. <laughs> it seems like it to me. However, uh it doesn't really change what we like do. However, I, I do think that the reason why this question is important to me is because I think we should structure systems assuming that we do not have free will so that we can guide people 
towards the behaviors that better society. Can you give me an example? <laughs> no, I really want to yeah. really want to jam on this with you. Yeah, so uh because it is on the mind uh making abortion illegal does not stop abortions from happening. Um, if the goal is to reduce the number of abortions, there are systemic things that can be put in place in order to reduce the number of abortions and reduce the number of unwanted pregnancies and reduce the number of sexual abuse cases and all that sort of stuff. And there's systemic things that we can put in place that guide more people towards the behaviors that are contributing to the flourishing of society rather than the detriment of it. Mm -hmm. And so uh, in a way we use legislation with a free will framework. Mm, and see. so we go, this thing is illegal. So if you choose to do this thing anyways, you will be punished for it. Mm -hmm. Whereas instead it's like, we don't like, it's not about the choices that you're like, it's more about how can we guide people towards better results? That's sort of how, and that's just an example. And so, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. and I mean, you know, the rest of it can be figured out as to like, why are these things the goals that we want society to move towards and all that sort of stuff. But, uh, yeah, I think that we should structure systems as though people don't have free will instead of having sort of a punitive system that goes off of you did this thing, you are bad right. because it's not true. <laughs> no one is good. No According one is bad. To whom. Yeah. Right. right. Um, and so people just do things because of what is happening to them and through them and all of these things. And so instead of punishing people for existing within a system, let's make a system that keeps them from getting worse. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. That is going to give me a, th no, that's really going to give me a lot to chew on. I, um, Oklahoma was founded by power structures who got here, you know, set up shop um, before the land run. And those strictures were already in place. Mm -hmm. We know how to pit people against each other. We know how to set up, oh, go here, don't go here. Nope, this is illegal. Nope, here's punishment. Mm -hmm. um, to try to um, capitalize on some sort of faux morality um, yeah, that's, that's pretty gross. And we're still suffering from that. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. I want to chew on that yeah. more and we can revisit at another time. <laughs> sure. Thank you. Yeah. Um, what do you think happens when we die? Um, uh, we're energy. Mm. So we go back to energy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we or we continue being energy yeah, just yeah. kind of without this form yeah for me 
how do you determine what good behavior is? Mm. I think a lot of it really has been um, what what I have experienced that I don't want other people to experience. I don't want other people to feel helpless or unseen or um, othered or without dignity. Um, yeah, so am I greeting others as a fully fledged human and not an extra in my movie? Mm -hmm. um, um, and it's not, it's neither good nor bad. It's how I choose to, to move throughout the world. Um, yeah, yeah, that's where I'm at right now. How do we reduce the division between people? If that is actually a goal for you. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, with, uh, turn off the news, turn off social media, um, get to know your neighbors, get to know the stories of the people in your life and people who are different than you. Once we hear individual stories and we learn more about people, it becomes very difficult to dehumanize them. Um, this kind of systemic incremental, not that it's incremental, let me take that back, but systemic tendency towards dehumanizing others. Like, haven't we seen that playbook enough? <laughs> you know, and yet I still fall for it. Mm -hmm. I still fall all the time, you know, especially in the liberal camp, which that's my echo chamber right now. Um, can you believe that did this? Rah! And then we're all mad. Cool. <laughs> and um, that's feeding into that fire. How can I live my life? How can I go through my day-to-day -day with my friends um, and ensure that I'm living in a way that is seeing others and connecting with others? Because if we're just screaming at each other on the media, it's, it's ridiculous. All we're doing is buying them more airtime. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So reducing the division, um, there's a lot of it. There's acknowledging harm. What's so hard about saying to someone, Oh God, that sucks. Oh, hell, I don't know what that's like. That must really hurt. Tell me more. What's so hard about that? That takes nothing away from me, you know? Um, what's so difficult about saying, I don't know, what, what's so hard about acknowledging that someone hurts? And that something might not be at all important to you or part of your life. But if it's important to somebody else, then it's important. Yeah. What's difficult about that? Mm -hmm. um, so there's that. There's healing your own damn traumas. Uh, because as long as those go unresolved, mm -hmm. we're going to continue to blame other people. Because it hurts too bad to look under the hood. Um, 
find commonality, and for God's sake, invest in joy. Learn what is joyful. Yeah. Simple. <laughs> yeah. It can be. Can be. <laughs> Do you believe humans are evil by nature? <sighs> I believe humans are human by nature. <laughs> we, we all have the same tendencies, I think. We all have the same parts and they're organized in different ways. So, yeah, if somebody treats me horribly, do I have visions of, you know, of creative acts of retaliation? Of course I do. Everybody else does too. I don't act on it. And that's a choice. So um, if having those thoughts makes me evil, well, maybe it does. But I have to assume that I'm not alone. And that everybody else also has these thoughts. How do I want to, how do I want to expend my energy? How do I want to spend my time in this brief, amazing, crazy little flight um, that I've been given? Yeah. Yeah. That being said, yeah, there are some people who, uh, who are so, uh, who organize their lives around manipulation and what they can get from others or what they can take from others. I find that very, very sad. Um, and I've met some people who have really scared me. Um, cause you know, yeah, I can be woo and hippy dippy, but I've been in the face of hatred that is terrifying. And yeah, in the moment, yeah, I'd call that evil. Um, yeah. So yeah, we're capable of it, I guess. Yeah. What do you think humanity is heading towards in the future? Oh man. I really don't know. I, I know that the pendulum is swinging real far to the side right now. Um, I don't know. I have hopes. Mm -hmm. I hope we can find some equilibrium. I hope we can find a relationship with nature that is more equitable. <laughs> I, I hope. What do I think we're heading towards? Man, I don't know. You can have a perfect, perfect, perfect scenario and then humans walk in. <laughs> so I don't know. It could go either way. Yeah. Uh, what do you think? It's not looking good. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, uh, uh, we could organize in either direction. Um, and maybe because enough of us see that it's not looking good, maybe enough of us can organize to make it turn out less bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which after being mired in the negativity of those questions, I then followed up with, what are you optimistic about for our future? Um, or at least your future. <laughs> 
what am I optimistic about? I, every day I get to meet more creative, life-affirming humans. Every day I get to learn more people's stories. Um, I'm optimistic about what? I don't know. I, I just, every morning that I wake up, I'm like, woo, got another one. <laughs> um, I'm optimistic that another thing that gives me a great lot of hope is um, meeting um, generations younger than I am. Because man, like there's a sense of agency and an expression of need and a take no more shit approach. There's an education and self-education and activism that um, I'm not sure my generation ever really had access to, or if we had access to whatever, we we were distracted or shiny things. That's not to say, <laughs> it, labeling entire groups of people is dangerous. <laughs> and yet, almost every person I've met in their 30s and below have got a, um, have got a drive for change that I find beautiful. Yeah, and hopeful. What makes you content? Content. Hmm. I don't know if there's ever any contentment. There are moments of really beautiful, calm relaxation. Um, those moments are okay. I have, I have done what I set out to, you know, move the needle on today. And now I get to chill out with my people um, or alone or what makes me content spending quality time in nature with humans creating really, you know, you can feel when something's burning and when we've really kind of ripped a hole in the universe to be able to peek through at that numinous quality yeah, that makes me feel really good. Like, yeah. yeah, we did that today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when will you be satisfied? There is never sa- any satisfaction <laughs> of any kind whatsoever. Um, there is only a burning dissatisfaction. <laughs> what did she call it? Um, a blessed unrest. It's this great quote from Martha Graham. Um, in a letter to, ah, I forget who the letter's to, um, blessed unrest, check it out. Um, yeah, no, there's no, I don't think artists are ever satisfied. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) And when I get there, I'll let you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What advice do you have for people in general? Uh, be kind, rewind. Um, no, be kind. Be kind. That's a big one. Um, hmm. Respect your own dignity and that of others. I don't know, man. I, I don't have any one shining piece of advice, but um, yeah, maybe question everything and be kind to people. Yeah. <laughs> Lastly, potentially most importantly, uh-huh. cake or pie? 
why can I not have both? <laughs> that is a valid answer to the question. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I would like cake and pie, please. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Nicole, thank you so much for doing this with thank me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Santiago. It's, it's, it's really a joy. <laughs> I mean, what a great way to get to know somebody too, you know? The, yeah. It's, uh, I love doing it. That's why I'm still doing it. Um, where can people find you and your things? Me and my things. Um, uh, currently, sparklahoma.org, Instagram, sparklahoma, Facebook, sparklahoma. Um, uh, my personal website really needs updating because sparklahoma, but you can find that at nicolepool.com. And um, yeah, my audiobooks are on Audible. Um, yeah. And you can usually find me around. Just follow the red jumpsuits. <laughs> Sweet. Well, once Yay. again, thank you so much. Thank you. I'm thank Santiago Ramones. I am Nicole Poole herself. <laughs> you can find everything that I do on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. I make music and produce audio. The music you're hearing now is music I made. You can listen to official releases by Santiago Ramones on Spotify, Apple Music, and the other streaming places. Or you can support me directly by buying my music on Bandcamp. I'm working on Hypothetical, my first singer-songwriter album. So if you'd like to hear that at some point, there are lots of ways to support me on my website. There's a Discord server in which we discuss deep topics from the podcast, but it's also a community of beautiful human beings. All the links to all my things are on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It would mean a lot to me to hear what you have to say, and it lets others know what to expect better than I could ever explain. I want to help the world have deeper conversations. So thank you for listening to and supporting BitDeath. I was in the podcast with my three things. They shape my life philosophy. Those three things are love never fails. It's going to be okay. I might be wrong. <laughs>